Some of you may not like this, but I got to start it off this morning this way. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my pirates are doing good. I'm sorry for those Dodger fans in here. This man appears a Dodgers hat, and uh, I don't even know where the Cubs are. They're off the map. And, and the Cardinals are pretty far back, too. So, so, Oh, man! My wife said, don't have people booing you. Oh, that, that already happened. <laughs> We're not even a minute into this. All right, well, hey, my name is Andreas. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here at Vertical Church, and it's really an honor to be here uh, and to be able to serve everyone here uh, to the capacity God has called us to. Um, but I want to start off this morning talking about this series we've been in. We've been in this series called But God. And Pastor Rich has gone through the last three weeks telling us these But God statements that we see in Scripture. And so in week one, Pastor Rich talked about But God changes everything. In week two, he talked about But God overcomes temptation. And in week three last week, he talked about, but God has a plan. These two words have the power to change so much in our lives, but God. Six letters that not only changes our perspective to which we look at life, but the direction of our lives themselves. They are two words that come with the full force of the creator of the universe. No matter how big the obstacle that is in front of you, God is bigger. No matter how tall the wall of defeat is, God is taller. No matter how menacing the giant is staring you down, telling you you can't, God takes him down with a single stone. But God changes everything. This morning we will be in week four of this series, But God. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these two powerful words, But God. Many of us walked into the sanctuary today with obstacles and difficulties and situations that seem daunting and overwhelming. Help us to hold on to these two words, but God. Soften and prepare our hearts as we open up your word this morning. Lord, your word says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God, we know this to be true, that your word will not return void this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in this series, and and one thing that I keep bouncing back and forth is, how many of you love infomercials? I love them. Some of you, everyone's like, no, I love them. Let me tell you why. Growing up playing baseball, I would always watch Billy Mays, right? Billy Mays would always talk about OxyClean. And I'd be like, Mom, Mom, my pants are dirty. Go buy some OxyClean. I was in love with the dude's commercials. He was super entertaining. You know, one of his famous quotes was, the best things in life are free and 1995. (laughs) I couldn't help but think of infomercials as we've been in this series. Uh, I thought about Vince from ShamWow. That's another guy. Yeah, some of you are remembering him. He says this, he says, you'll be saying wow after every time you use this towel. (laughs) Sham wow. (laughs) These guys kept coming up into my mind, right? Infomercials infomercials often play late at night. The purpose is to quickly build our interest into a product. Why? So we purchase it. They usually throw in additional items if you buy them. Uh, And with each new item or each new product, the announcer will say, but wait, 
there's, there's more. As we've been looking at these but God statements, I feel like we're hearing that expression over and over again. But wait. With God. But wait, there's more with God. Each week we've been going through this, I'm like, whoa, there's more with God, more with God, more with God, and more with God. These statements keep revealing more about God and who he is. But instead of trying to convince us that a product will bring us satisfaction, we've learned again and again that true joy and true satisfaction is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to ask us a couple of questions. First question is this, how well do you love others? How well do you love others? Does your love have a positive impact on people around you? Are they better off because you have loved them? If you're anything like me, the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes we love others with an unselfish love. We serve them, we encourage them, we show them grace. Unfortunately, other times we put ourselves first and we love selfishly. If we're honest, we don't always want to show others love because we don't think they deserve it. But thankfully, our God is not like that. We serve a God who shows us unconditional love, a love that is unfailing, that is infallible, and that is beautiful. So this morning, we're going to look at the statement, but God loves, but God loves us. And with God's love comes benefits. Some of us in this room, we went to a certain job because we were told we would get amazing benefits, right? We look at the salary and we're like, okay, salary. Oh, these benefits. These benefits are off the chain. They're amazing, right? But here's the beautiful thing. The benefits that we can receive from God's love, we don't have to work for them. They're freely given to us because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And so today, let's, let's address this question. What are the benefits of God's love? Because who, who doesn't like a benefit, Right? We love benefits. We love getting things. And so and we're going to turn to our Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles open, Romans chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 to 8. And the book of Romans is a beautiful letter written by the Apostle Paul. And you know, he had never been to Rome before he wrote this letter. Did you know that? The man had never been there, but he had a desire and a love for the people of Rome, especially those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Writing this book, he, he, he was writing from a, a Greek city called Corneth, and he wrote it around A.D. 55 to 58, and it's actually three years later, a man steps into the scene named Nero. And some of you have heard that name, but Nero, basically, he becomes the Roman emperor of the time, and his main goal, his main objective is to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. He wants to persecute Christians, he wants to have them killed, he wants to just flat out just destroy Christianity. We all know how that turned out. We're all sitting here today, amen? So Nero's on the scene three years later, but this, this, this letter, the book of Romans, and you'll hear several pastors say this, it truly is a beautiful book. You'll hear pastors say it's one of their favorite books. I'm gonna say it, it's one of my favorite books too. Why? Because the book of Romans lays out Christian doctrine beautifully. It's probably the clearest letter within all of Scripture that lays out Christian doctrine, Christian truths. And that's Paul's main goal in this letter. He wants to lay out basic gospel truth. 
And so in this letter, I, I, I came across a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther is uh, one of the most well-known reformists, and he said this. He said, It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize Romans word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. And so this is where I'm going to encourage you to read your Bibles, and specifically the book of Romans this week. The book of Romans is a beautiful, well-written book that really tackles the doctrine of Christianity. In chapters 1 to 4, we see, that God's, we see God's wrath against human sin and his justification of sinners through the work of Christ on the cross. I personally believe one of the greatest threats to the church is focusing so much on one characteristic of God that we forget about other characteristics of God. And I've seen this in the church, and maybe you have too. You'll see churches that focus too much on the wrath of God, and then you, which aren't many, <laughs> And then you'll see a lot of churches focusing on the love of God. We can't focus just on one or the other. We need to focus on both. With God's wrath does come God's love and vice versa. We need to have both. Our God is a wrathful God and he is also a loving God. So let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 5 verses 1 to 8. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Here it is, verse 8. But God... But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Woo! That's a beautiful passage. There's a lot in there. And I'm excited to open up God's word with you and dissect this and see what God wants to teach us this morning. So let's talk about the benefits of God's love. First, this is how, God's love is amazing. We're here today because of his love. We have breath in our lungs because of his love. But verse 1 had this. It said this. The very first word was therefore. We need to ask the question, why is it therefore? Right? So we need to backtrack a little bit. We need to go back to Romans chapter 4. The last verse in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 verse 25. It says this. He was delivered, Jesus, over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That last word, justification, plays in to Paul writing, therefore, into the next chapter. Justification, it may sound like a big word, it may sound daunting, but it simply means this. It's how to get right with God. Justification means to declare someone right or righteous. And this is only based on the work of Jesus Christ. When someone has been justified, They've been made right. They've been made righteous, holy, set apart. 
You and I can be justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So benefit number one, we have peace with God. Because of God's love, we can have peace with God. And let me just say, God's love is shown through justification. The fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross freely without having to be told. He just went freely to the cross, being an innocent man, and he died the death that each and every single person in this room, including myself, deserved to die. And he rose three days later victoriously. That's, that's how we have experienced and seen God's love for us. In this benefit, peace with God, we see in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our world is longing for peace. We see it all through social media. Whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you use, you're going to see it. Young people, old people, middle-aged people, everyone is desiring peace. And here's the blessing. In God's love, we know what true, genuine, authentic peace is. As believers in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you know what true peace is. You've experienced it. But this passage, it's talking about how we have peace with God, not just a feeling, it's our position with God now. We are no longer what Scripture calls us, enemies of God. We're no longer lost or wondering. No, we are now children of God. And we have peace with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all hostility caused by sin has been removed. Sin is the barrier, the great barrier to true peace. I'm sure every single one of us knows what I mean when I say that when we're living in the midst of sin or when we're sinning, we feel this uncertainty. If you don't feel it yet, if you're living in sin right, you're going to feel it. You're going to have this overwhelming sense of, oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if this happens? You're going to have an overwhelming sense of, I'm not in control because guess what? You're not. Only God is. He's the one who's sovereign and over everything. And that's why it's so important as believers, we need to realize we can have peace with God. Some individuals in this room and some people in our lives, I don't think they realize that they're at enmity with God, that they're outside of God's peace. They're like drivers ignoring the red lights of a police car in the rearview mirror. They're in trouble even if they don't know it, and it will soon catch up to them. Isaiah 48, 22 says this, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Who are the wicked? Those who have yet to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those who have chosen a path to live completely for themselves or for this world. True peace with God can only be obtained through the Lord Jesus. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. It says this, Once you were alienated, separated, far from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. This, was, this is every single person in this room before we came to the Lord. We were alienated from God. We were enemies, and we were evil. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight 
without blemish and free from accusation. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, For he, Jesus Christ, is our peace. He who, is, he who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. What's the barrier? Sin. Sin is the great barrier to true peace. He's destroyed it, obliterated it, wiped it away. In the dividing wall of hostility, the war with God is now over. We are no longer enemies, but we are at peace with God. This isn't about a feeling, this is a fact. We can have the peace of God come upon us, but what this passage is talking about, it's talking about that we have peace with God. That our position with God has changed. And here's the blessing. For those of us who believe in the Lord in this room, it's permanent. It's permanent. Romans 8, 38 to 39, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So through the benefits of God's love, here it is, we can know him more. This is the big idea for today. Through the benefits of God's love, we can know him more. Because we have peace with God, we can know him more. Because of God's love, we have the benefit of peace with God. We also have the benefit of access with God. This is our second benefit, access with God. This is good, man. Verse 2, it says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. Praise the Lord that we can have access to God. Do you, do you realize, believer, the blessing that that is? Think about the Greeks for a moment. And their false gods. They were fearful of them, terrified of them. They didn't want to be in the presence of their gods. You think about the, the Jewish tradition. The, the, the Jews were in a similar vein. They had guidelines to how close people could get to the holies of holies. Where in the Old Testament, that's where God's presence was. They had guidelines. They, they had guide, listen to this. They had the court of Gentiles. Before you could get to the Holy of Holies, they had different guidelines, okay? You had the court of Gentiles. Pretty much anyone could go here, okay? And then you had the court of women. Only Jewish men and women were allowed, but women could no further uh, um, go except when they offered a sacrifice, okay? Then, listen to this, then you had the court of the Israelites. Only Jewish men could enter. Then you had the court of the priest. Oh my goodness. As the name implies, only priests were allowed here. Then... The Holy of Holies. And only one individual could go to the Holy of Holies. Only one individual could be in the presence of God. And that was the great high priest at the time. It's the high priest. And, and here's the thing about that. He could only go during Yom Kippur, okay? It only happened once a year. And guess what they did to the poor dude? They would put a giant cloak on him, tie rope around his legs and bells in case he died in there. That's wild! So if he, if he died, they could be, they go, yo, let's get this dude out of here. We don't have to do that anymore. We can go before God right now, right here. We have access before God. Why? Yes. Praise the Lord. We have access before God because there was this veil that separated us from God. This veil covered the holies of holies. 
It was probably around 60 feet tall. That's what some people believe. Four inches thick. This wasn't your normal shower curtain. Okay? This thing was massive. Massive. And in Matthew 27, we read that the veil has been torn from top to bottom. It's been torn from top to bottom. Jesus cried out in a loud voice and he died on the cross and the veil was torn. Tearing of the veil signified complete access to God through Jesus Christ. You and I, we can come before the Lord. We can open up his word. We can pray to him. And guess what? He hears us and he answers our prayers and he shares things on our hearts and on our minds and he puts things in our lives so that we can grow closer to him. We have access. We have access that those in the Old Testament would have dreamed about having. And we read that. The curtain, the veil is now torn and we have union with God because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far away. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Access with God is only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of God's love, we have the benefit of peace with God and access with God. We also have the benefit of a future with God. Benefit number three, a future with God. Verse two said, uh, at the end of verse two, it says this, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We can know for certainty that we have a future with God. When we see in, in the end of verse two, when it says the glory of God, It's referring to heaven. It's referring to the fact that we can spend eternity with God in glory. God's love gives us the benefit of knowing our eternal destiny. We can have confidence and peace knowing where we will spend eternity. And when Paul uses this word hope at the end of verse 2, he says, in the hope of the glory of God, what he is saying, it's it's not, I hope I get a birthday gift, or I hope I win this competition, Or I hope this, or I hope that. No. Hope means looking forward with expectation to something. Even though we can't see it yet. That's what Paul means when he says hope. We are looking forward to it with expectation. Knowing that we are going to be able to spend eternity with the one who created us and formed us in our mother's womb. Do you look forward to glory with God? Do you? Our future is sealed. As I mentioned earlier, Romans verse 38 to 39, I'm going to read it. It says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one No one can take away the future you have, believer. No one can. Nothing can. Your future is with God, and it is to be in glory with him one day. Through the benefits of God's love, we can know him better. Why? Because we know we have a future with him. All right, because of God's love, we have the benefit of peace with God. We have access with God. Now we have a future with God. But wait, there's more. We also have the benefit of a purpose with God. Woo! 
Let's go. Benefit number four, purpose with God. Sounds too good to be true. This is amazing. Verse three, it said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You will face trouble and difficulties in this life, brother and sister. You will. Jesus promises it. Verse, uh, John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. I have, this is Jesus speaking. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How many of you enjoy writing down the promises of God in Scripture? Guess what? This is a promise. It's a promise we don't like. It's a promise we may not have written down. But this is a promise. You will suffer in this life. You will, believer. Even if you're not a believer, you're going to suffer in this life because we're in a broken world. I love when Paul says that our tribulations, basically he's saying they have a purpose. They have a purpose behind them. Each difficulty, each trial you and I have faced, there's a purpose, a greater purpose that we can't see in the moment. We may not even see the rest of our lives until we get to glory, until we get to heaven. But our trials have a purpose. He says this. First he says, our sufferings produce perseverance. Simply meaning that without tribulation, you and I, we could never, never develop perseverance. We couldn't. Our life would be too easy. A trouble-free life is a life without perseverance. Secondly, Paul says that our tribulations produce character. We can know that in the middle of suffering, God is producing a Christ-like character within each and every single one of us. Philippians 1.6 says, this gives us confidence that having begun a good work in us, he will see it through to completion. God's goal in you and I is that we become more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ each and every single day. And guess what? When we get to glory, it's going to be completed. Lastly, Paul says, God gives us hope. Hope through suffering. Hope that does not disappoint us. Because we have the hope of salvation. And we know that this hope can never be taken away from us. And it will never disappoint us. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. We have a purpose with God. All of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the garbage you and I face in life, this passage is saying that God has a greater purpose for it. And you may, you may see it in this life, but I guarantee you, you at least see it in the next life, in glory. Through the benefits of God's love, we can know him more. But wait, there's more. Verses 6 to 8. Some of you are like, Pastor Dre, why aren't you there yet? So there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. Verse 6 to 8. We can't forget about our but God statement, right? Verses 6 to 8. 
because of what happens in verses 6 to 8. That's why we have the benefits of God. Verses 6 to 8 say this. Beautiful. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that's every single one of us in this room, when we were living in sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Here it is, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's love. And because God displayed his love in sending his son Jesus to die for you and I, we're blessed with benefiting from it. And guess what? We have done nothing, zero, zappo, to deserve it or to get anything. It's all freely given to us. It's grace and it's mercy. So in light of this, what should we do? As believers in Jesus Christ, we should tell others how they can have peace with God. We should tell others how they can have full access to the one who created them. We should tell others about the future they could have with God. We should tell others how God has a plan for their lives. And most of all, we should tell others how God loves them. This morning, we learned that the statement, but wait, there's more, is a good statement. At least when it comes to God. But God loves us. He's given us so much. Through the benefits of love, we can know him more. We can have peace with him, access with him, a future with him, and a purpose with him. Let's pray. If you're a part of the prayer team, you can come forward. Lord, we come before you with hearts of gratitude. Thank you for loving us and giving your one and only son to save us. Thank you for these benefits of your love that we saw in Romans chapter 5. That we can have peace with you. We are no longer enemies of God. We, there is no hostility, no enmity between us and our creator. It's been wiped away, destroyed. The veil has been torn because of the Lord Jesus. Because he freely sacrificed his life. We can have access with you. We can talk with you. We can be in your presence. And we can have the promise of a future with you and a purpose with you. Help us to live out these gospel truths today, the rest of the week, and all of our lives. God, we love you so much. And we realize that these things that you've given us are not from our own hands, but they're completely from yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, if maybe you're, maybe you're facing a tribulation, a difficulty, I want to encourage you. We have an amazing prayer team up here. They would love to pray with you. Maybe today is the first time you heard about this man named Jesus. Maybe you want to know more. I encourage you to ask our prayer team. It's been a, a great privilege to proclaim the Lord's word with you this morning. May you, you go out and be blessed. Amen. Is this okay here? Okay.